Uh, for those of you I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John, and uh, and uh, been here a little while. Been here since we started. Um, pastor here, and um, we are doing this little two-week thing where we're just talking about how we identify ourselves with Jesus. And in order to do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about food. Um, it's a shocker. <laughs> Some of you, if you've been if you've been with us for about a year, you've seen me growing spiritually, physically, both of them. Okay, all right. I like I like food. I talk about it a lot. But this past weekend or this past week, uh, we uh, in our house, Jess does all the cooking because she loves to cook. It's her. She's a, she's passionate about it. And this week, she decided it was going to be the week of sandwiches. And so if you follow her on Facebook, then you might have followed the journey that was what sandwiches we were having every day and how the kids ranked them and we were rating all the sandwiches, which wasn't fair because one of the sandwiches was a BLT and I don't know how you beat a good BLT. But um, so we had sandwiches throughout the week and one of the days she did something that she doesn't normally do, okay? In order to make French dip sandwiches, she made a pot roast. And for those of you that know Jess, you know that the pot roast is the bane of her existence. It's the one thing that she always struggles. She just gets so frustrated. And I think they're all good, but she gets so frustrated with every pot roast she's ever made. In fact, she did a post, I think, on Facebook. She does a lot of Facebook posts. Uh, she's very social media oriented. I am not. I prefer the analog world, but she posts all the time. And so she, was, uh, she posted, you know, I just never found a pot roast that I liked, and maybe it's just not good. You know, and then she's like, don't give me all your pot roast recipes in the comments. Don't say you just haven't tried this pot roast. Right. And then what were all the comments? Well, you've never tried this pot roast. You should try this recipe. I was like, ah, you just can't win. But anyway, so this week she made a pot roast, which was awesome, by the way, for French dip sandwiches. But I can't help it. Every single time that I have a bit of pot roast, there's a memory that triggers for me. And it transports me immediately back to my parents' house. And my parents' house, they live in a barn, and they've got this really nice kitchen with an island in it. And, and I, I find myself, as soon as I start, I take a bite of, of pot roast, I'm sitting at my parents' island again with a plate. My mom, every single Christmas, would make cider pot roast. And I always really liked that recipe. She would make cider pot roast and mashed potatoes. And she might have made it just for me, because I think I might be the only one in the family that liked it. But she would always make it for me. And then I would take it, and I would mix, I would break the pot roast apart, and I would mix it in with the mashed potatoes and make like this sort of, this thing, this concoction, and then just covered in salt. But uh, I would do that. And there's, it's such a distinct flavor. It's such a distinct texture. And every time I have pot roast, it transports me back, and I'm sitting again at my parents' island, and I'm eating mom's Christmas cider pot roast every single time. That's what, that's what gets me. I bet you have a recipe or something like that. That one thing that when you eat it, it's, a, it's crazy how food has the ability to transport us. Where, where you smell something or you taste something and instantly you find yourself mentally in a different time, in a different place, remembering those feelings and those thoughts and the environment and the whole thing. It's powerful the way that those two things connect with each other. And I believe that is something that Jesus understood very, very well. I think it's something that we all understand well. So when Jesus was meeting with, uh, for one of the last times before, or the last time before he would be crucified, he was meeting with his closest friends and followers. They gathered together in a room for the Passover feast, and Jesus gave them something physical, a taste, a, a, a meal 
that they would attach to an event as a way to remember that event and in some way to be transported back in your mind to that moment. And so what we're going to do today is we talk about how we identify, how we remember, how we honor, how we identify ourselves with, with Christ. We're going to take a look at that moment, such a powerful, powerful moment. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 22. Uh, whether you have a print Bible, you can pull that up on your phone if you have the app. Um, and for those of you that don't have that, we have it on the screen. Um, I know I say this every single time we do it, but I'm just giving you time to get there, okay? I want to tread water and make sure you're, you're up to speed with us. But Luke chapter 22. And by the way, if you, uh, if you want to get there even faster, you know, we used to race uh, when I was a kid, we would race. It was called a sword drill. Did anybody do sword drills growing up with your, with your Bibles? Yeah, we would do that in like in Sunday school. They would give us a verse, and everyone would open their Bible and try and fa- find it as fast as they as they could. It's like you know, it's a drill. So it's a sword drill. Anyway, um, I'm still giving you time to get there. Hopefully, you're there by now. Um, but if you want to beat everybody, you can come in every single Sunday, and you can open up the YouVersion Bible app and find the event for our service, and it'll go ahead and tell you where we're going to be. So you can you can be ahead of the game. All right. All right, so before we start reading, though, I know you're, you're getting there. Let's, let's set the scene. Um, Jesus has um, spent about three years in public ministry. It, that public ministry start, started with his baptism, which we talked about last week. And then he spent three years uh, gathering disciples, teaching, um, doing miracles, teaching parables, running people off who were half-hearted about following him. And eventually, it all comes to a head, and he knows it's coming to a head. He knows that finally the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are going to have their way. They're going to convince the local authorities, and they're going to have him executed. He knows that. All right, he knows that, and it's, it happens during the week of the Passover, which was a massive feast that would happen for all Jews, specifically centered in Jerusalem. And so the lead-up is happening to Jesus' crucifixion. He knows that, but his followers don't know that. He's telling them, but God is shielding them from it, so they don't understand exactly what's going on. But they're, getting, they're moving towards the Passover feast. Passover is, maybe you've heard that term, or you might be very, very familiar with what that means, or maybe, maybe you're not. But um, it, Passover it was a celebration for the nation of Israel to remember their deliverance from Egypt. So they were slaves in Egypt under the Pharaoh for many, many years, and then God wanted to deliver them, send them to the promised land, and continue developing them as as his people and his nation. And so they were trapped in slavery, though, and uh, if you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments or anything like that, then you already know this story, but um, he raises up a leader named Moses, and Moses goes to the Pharaoh with the help of Aaron (laughs) to speak for him, goes to Pharaoh and says, what does he say? Does anybody know? Yeah, (laughs) or something like that. He says, let my people go, you know. And Pharaoh's like, that doesn't sound like a good business decision, and so we're not going to do that. And so God needs to convince him, and God sends plagues. And they get progressively worse. None of them convince Pharaoh until finally the nail in the coffin is that God says, I'm going to send the angel of death over the land, and the firstborn son in every house will die, including Pharaoh's. But he tells the nation of Israel, he tells his people, if you take the blood of a lamb and you put it on the posts and the lintel of your door, the sides and top, 
Then when the angel comes over, he will see the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and he will pass over your house, saving the child. And so it happens just as God says that it would happen. And sure enough, Pharaoh's son dies, and the nation of Israel's children are spared. And it's that that is the tipping point for Pharaoh. And he says, okay, you can go. And he lets them go. And then he changes his mind and he chases them down and they get to the Red Sea. And then God parts the Red Sea. That's where all of that happens. And and they go through. The Egyptians try to follow them through the water. God says no, closes up the water, and they're moving on from there. All right, but Passover is their remembrance of the, the bitterness and the toil and the difficulty of their slavery in Egypt, but also their deliverance and a looking forward to when God would deliver them as a people uh, by sending the Messiah. So they were getting ready to recognize all of this. Meanwhile, Jesus knows that he is about to be the lamb that gives his blood and his body f- to save all of them. They don't know that yet. Uh, they may think that he is, but they don't realize it's going to happen right then. But the week goes on. Jesus does some of his most dramatic and confrontational preaching during this week, this Passover week, after he enters the city. And then the night before his crucifixion, which he knows is coming, they don't. He gathers them together in a room. And I just want you for for a minute to try to picture this moment. Put yourself there if you can, but the best that you can. And think about, think about the the emotion in that room. Now, it's, it's special for the disciples because it's Passover and they're with their rabbi, and so it's special for them. But almost try to picture it from Jesus' perspective, knowing what's coming, and this is his last time with all of them together before he goes to be crucified. How how just like full of intensity that moment is. How full of love that moment is. In fact, we read elsewhere that one of the things Jesus did as a full expression of his love at that, at that evening gathering is that he got down, he knelt down, got a basin of water, and he washed the feet of all of the disciples at that dinner which is such a humbling act of servanthood that was what what most people would consider and what the disciples considered too good for Jesus to do, (laughs) given who he was. But he chose to do it because he wanted to show them what love looked like. And so he demonstrates love for them by washing their feet, even Judas's feet, by the way. And he knew Judas was going to betray him because he calls him out for that just a little bit longer. But before he calls Judas out, he washes Judas's feet. So in this moment, Jesus has them all gathered together. And he chooses to celebrate this feast, this season. We don't know whether it was actually the, the, the regular Passover feast as they would have done, which was a progressive meal. It involves eating bitter herbs to remember your bitterness of slavery in Egypt, and it's progressive, and there are cups of wine and different things that are eaten throughout the meal. Um, we don't know whether it was that one or not, because that one would have taken place the next day for, for, for Jews, typically. But either way, he gathers them together for a meal. And he chooses to spend this time Uh, not with his blood family, but with his spiritual family, his followers, his disciples. Um, So we're going to pick up now in Luke chapter 22. Um, 
I'm just going to read it, uh, this section all the way through. So Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Look at, look at the, the love in the heart in what he says. He understands more than they do. What's about to happen is I've been looking forward to this, been waiting for this. Now, verse 16. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if we can pause for a second, I always think that's an interesting thing to say. Because they would be, you put yourself in the disciples' shoes at this dinner, and he would say, do this in remembrance of me. And they were like, what do you mean, remembrance? <laughs> it makes sense to us now, but it, that wouldn't have made sense to them. Now, what do you mean, remembrance of you, Jesus? You're right here, right now. <laughs> well, he was giving them something not only for that moment, but for the moments that would come after what he knew was about to happen. They do this in remembrance of me. And he broke the bread, and he gave it to them. Now, I do want to take one moment right here, sort of as an aside, just a moment of clarity for us. Oftentimes, when we are talking about communion, we see that the bread was broken, and then we will say, uh, this is Jesus' body, which was broken for you. And it's just something that we say, but for clarity, we need to understand that Jesus' body was not broken. It was given for us, but it was not broken. There's prophecy that says that the Messiah, not a, bo- not a bone would be broken in his body, and that is true. When Jesus was crucified, not a bone in his body was broken, which was very uncustomary and strange because uh, if you look uh, at the, the crucifixion account, uh, they're all hanging uh, on the crosses. There's three of them that are hanging on the crosses. Jesus is in the middle with two thieves on either side of him. And uh, the hour comes, and they want to make sure they can get the bodies down before the Passover. And so they say, why don't you go, go and break their legs so that they'll die more quickly? And they go and they break the legs of the other two people on either side of Jesus because they were still alive, but they come to Jesus and realize that he was already dead. And that's when they pierce his side with the spear and blood and water flow out. So Jesus didn't have his legs broken, which fulfills the prophecy that was spoken about him, that not a, not a bone would be broken. So I think it's, it's not like a deal breaker or anything, but when we do communion, it's important that we say his body was given for us because it's the most consistent thing to say with the rest of Scripture and with prophecy about him. All right. But he does take the bread and he breaks the bread. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 20, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So why did he do this? Well, he did it for, for this moment, of course, to foreshadow what was about to happen, and they would experience it over the next few days. 
But he also did it to give them a way to remember him, to remember what he had done, something physical that they could do to recall and to bring back all of those same thoughts, all of those same feelings, all of those same emotions that they would experience over the next few days. And what he did is it's much like baptism. When we talked about baptism last week, he took something old, something they were familiar with, and gave it a new meaning. So he took the Passover feast, this eating of bread and drinking of of wine, and he gave it new meaning for them, a new meaning in the new covenant. Because he was about to go through the worst thing you could ever imagine as a human being. He was going to be betrayed by the very people who should have celebrated him, by the way. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be flogged and beaten to the point where he was unrecognizable as a human being, which is horrific. He was going to be mocked. And ultimately, he was going to hang on a cross by his nails in his hands or his wrists in his hands and his feet while he suffocated to death under the weight of his own body. While people mocked, while people stood by, while his mother stood there and watched it happen, his best friend, John, as well, standing there watching him die. But he knew that it had to be done. In fact, after this meal, he goes to a garden and he spends time praying there so intensely that he sweats drops of blood and he says to God multiple times, if it's your will, take this cup from me. If I don't have to go through this, I don't want to go through this, but he recognizes that God's will must be done, not his will. And in this case, it was God's will for him to suffer so that he could give his life as a ransom for all of us. To give his life on the cross so that we could be free And we could be forgiven by faith. And so he gives his life. And his body was given in our place. And his blood was shed covering our sins. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, he forgives us. Our sin is on him. This is a different lamb than the one that the Israelites sacrificed to save their children. This is Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb, giving his life for us, his body given and his blood shed. And when we eat and when we drink and take communion together, we eat cracker. We eat crackers and drink grape juice, okay? That's what we do here. Different people do it different ways, but that's what we do. When that happens, what we should be doing and thinking about is just like that pot roast that transports me to my parents' kitchen. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, even though we've never been there, in our mind, in our heart, we want to transport ourselves to the foot of the cross to picture our Savior and what he went through for us to appreciate the gift that he gave to us, the sacrifice that he was willing to make on our behalf, to stand in the same place mentally, to stand in the same place where Mary stood and where John stood and watched him suffer for them. To be transported and to appreciate. And when we take communion, we not only do that, but as we take it, we are saying to him, I believe I believe, I trust you, I'm following you, I'm listening to you, you have saved me and I'm so thankful for it.
It transports us. It's, it's, it's in many ways the same thing we do when we are baptized. Baptism is the initial statement of our faith. We're lowered under the water. We're raised back out. We're symbolizing our belief, our identification with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. And so we're baptized. And a lot of people will ask me, you know, I've come to this new place in my life. I've come to a new understanding, a new level of faith or a new whatever. Or I feel like I wasn't following before and I am following now. Do I need to be baptized again? Well, the answer is no. You don't need to be baptized again. Jesus gave you another symbol that you can use. Communion. Now, there's nothing wrong with being baptized again. It's not like God like, negates your first one if you get baptized again or anything. If you want to do that, you could do that, but you don't need to. Communion is our ongoing statement of faith. And, and we can do it when we're together here at church, uh, which we do. We used to do it once a month, and then COVID happened, and things got weird and crazy, and then there's sanitation questions and all that and whatever. Uh, but we're doing it again today, and we're going to start doing it regularly again here. But you can also do it with your group during the week as a, as a moment to draw you together with your group. You could do it with your spouse as a moment to appreciate and recognize your faith and your, your, uh, your unity in that together or with your whole family. You could do it with a small group of friends or with one other. You can do it wherever, whenever, as a reminder of the fact that Jesus gave his life for you. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Communion symbolizes our identification with Christ, but it also symbolizes our identification with our spiritual family, with our church family, with other believers that we share this belief with. John, who was there and watched Jesus be crucified, said this in 1 John chapter 1, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So John here is saying, I want you to know how, you know how our joy is full is by understanding the unity that we have with God and how that creates unity with each other. That it's found not only in our relationship with God, joy is found not only in our relationship with God, but also with each other. And so, so this relationship that we have is really, really important. And I want to I th- take a minute to thank you because as our church, and we're young and we're getting started and we're, only, we're just five years old, but as we're getting started, you are so loving with each other. You are so loving with each other. Thank you. It's, it's not always like that. And it's hard to keep that over time, too. It's like, it's like with your family, you know. You, or, or maybe in a marriage you think about that. Like you start off and it's very loving at the beginning. And then as time goes on, and those little things start creeping in and little issues become big issues. And, and so we've got a lot of road in front of us as a church. But thank you so much for being so loving and so caring and being so bound together in unity um, for each other. It's really, really amazing to see. And it is what Jesus wants to see. When he spent that time in the, in the garden praying, as I mentioned, he was sweating drops of blood and so intensely praying about what was coming up. He also prayed for us. And his prayer for us, it was, prayer was for his disciples and everyone who would believe because of their message, which is us. He prayed that we would be united, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And as we take communion, we're symbolizing not only our unity with him through Jesus' gift of, uh, on the cross, but our unity with each other as well. 
As we take communion, we think about how we're reconciled to God. We think about how we're reconciled with each other. Would you put yourself in that room with Jesus? I just can't even imagine what that night was like. And the fact that they didn't fully grasp what was going on until later. And the way that the disciples would have looked back on that time that they spent with Jesus. That one last meal that they had with him before his death. And of course, his resurrection. Where they again met him and saw him. And then witnessed to his resurrection. But it was different. And I imagine looking back to that moment. Imagine the reverence. Imagine the first time. Okay, Jesus is crucified, he rises again, he's here for a period of time before he ascends to heaven, and then they have this symbol of communion to remember him by, and they start taking communion together in smaller groups and then larger and larger as the church expands. Imagine what it was like the first time they took communion after Jesus returned to heaven. I think it's hard to even, after everything they had been through, everything they had seen, I think it's hard to wrap our head around how deep and meaningful that moment was as they ate the bread and pictured their Savior on the cross and they drank the cup and they remembered his blood which covers their sins and thought about his resurrection and conquering the grave and knowing the hope and the joy that they had in him. That first communion must have been unlike anything else. But there's no reason that today when we take communion, we can't have the same level of thankfulness, appreciation, joy, and peace that they had then. But that is up to us and what our perspective is, where our mind is, where our heart is when it happens. Because we can just eat, and we can just drink, and it can just be a part of what we do. Or it can be a deep spiritual moment for you where you connect with God and with everyone else in this room. But that's up to you and where your heart and mind and focus are. I think about that first one. I I can't help, you know, to think forward about pot roast my mom's not going to be with us forever. Who knows? Maybe she'll outlive me. I don't know. But, but I'm just imagining that first time that I have that meal after she's gone. How much deeper and more valuable, how much better that will taste as I sit and I remember her when that time comes. We don't want to lose that. It's easy to lose it. Uh, Paul had to deal with a church that lost this. They lost the reverence that should surround the Lord's Supper, the communion. Uh, it was the church in Corinth, and they had they had a lot of issues. Okay, you just if you read First Corinthians, there's a lot of there's a lot of tough things going on in Corinth. And one of the things that they were doing is that they were they were coming to uh, the Lord's Supper. They were coming to communion, and they were abusing it. They were mistreating it. It had become basically like a party, like a feast. Um, people were fighting over who was going to take communion first. Uh, one person wants to take it before another person. They, their heart and mind wasn't where it was supposed to be. And so, so Paul had very strong words for them. He says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take this, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That phrase is so important. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a big deal. They lost it over time. They started taking it for granted. It became a selfish religious act, and that is the opposite of what Jesus intended for communion. They had a ton of issues. They had factioning in their church. They had divisions in their church. They had sexual sin in their church. They had idol worship in their church. And it's a little bit like if we just, instead of putting the proper emphasis on communion, if we just did like a potluck, you know, we, just, we did like a, uh, we did a potluck and people were running to the front of the line to try and eat first, all right? There's a, you know, just trying to get the mac and cheese, trying to get the good mac and cheese because there's always three and one of them's good, you know what I mean? And so everybody's trying to get the good mac and cheese. So you know, you've done it, you know, right? Like, it was bad for them. Like, they, they, were, they were fighting for their spot in line. People were getting drunk. They're like, there's a drunk guy in the corner at the potluck, community potluck. Just, like, this doesn't make any sense at all. This is not what this is. This is supposed to be a focused event. So Paul, so Paul told the church, he's like, hey, if you're that hungry, eat at home. Just eat at home. Fill your belly there. And then when you come here to do communion, make sure you're doing it right. You're focused on the right things. You got to, for goodness sakes, he was, he was pretty frustrated. And then he says in verse um, 27, he said, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he says in 27, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of this, this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, I used to think that examine yourself was just to look at your own life and make sure you don't have unrepentant sin, and that is, that is part of it. But um, I think this also has to do with our unity together as a church because that's a big problem here for the Corinthians when he writes this to them. And so we need to examine ourselves and make sure that before we take communion that there isn't something that is existing between us and God. There's not, there's not sin in our life that we know about, that we're unrepentant of, and there's something between us. And we also need to examine and look to see if there's something between us and a, and a brother or sister in Christ that is unresolved, that we're unwilling to resolve. And, and so as we're taking communion, we need to make sure that our heart is in the right position, that we are thinking about it correctly, our relationship with him and relationship with other people. This church wasn't taking it seriously, and so they were missing the point of it in the first place. Well. Let that not be so here. All right, we will do better. If we approach communion with apathy, we disrespect the blood of Christ, which was given for us. And if we approach communion with disunity, we disrespect the body of Christ. So we need to make sure that we examine ourselves before we take communion. Not that we have to be perfect. Not that everything has to be worked out in our life. But that we need to be committed to unity. We need to be committed to holiness. We need to be committed to purity. And let the Spirit speak to you and tell you what that means for you in your situation and whether you're going to take communion today or some of you may choose not to based on the situation. That's up to you, okay? But we need to take it very, very seriously. 
We're going to appreciate what we're going to doing. We're going to take a moment to reflect and be sure that there's no sin or disunity on our part before we take communion together. If we want to identify with our Savior, if we want to identify with him, baptism is a great way to start, and communion is a way to keep going. Every time we take communion, we identify with him and with his family. And as we do this today, I want to allow it to transport us, to really focus, to really focus on what you're doing and why you're doing it. So what I want to do, um, I want to pray. And we're going to take a moment. And uh, as we pray, maybe you use this as an opportunity to maybe confess sin to God that you know you have in your life and turn away from that sin. To confess to him uh, an issue you have with another believer and commit to him that you're going to reconcile that or you're going to do your part in it. So use this even as I'm praying. Maybe you're just not even listening to what I'm saying. You have your own time to pray. And um, and then I'll get when we're finished with this prayer, we'll give some instructions on exactly how we're going to we're going to do this together. All right. So let's pray. Uh, Father, I want you to know for me and on behalf of everyone here that we love you. You are good. You are powerful. You're the creator of all things. You are love. You are just. You are kind. You are holy. We as people are born with the nature of sin. And you know that. And we failed you. We failed you over and over and over and over and over again. And it, it would have been well within your right to look at us and say, these people have failed and it's over. But because you are love and because you are gracious and because you are kind, you didn't cast us off like that. You loved us enough to give your one and only son to give your son over to to teach and to lead and to demonstrate for us what faithfulness looks like but ultimately to give his life to sacrifice himself willingly on the cross and to do that so that we sinful people, broken people faith in him can be saved that he would take the punishment of our sin his body given for us his blood shed for us covering our sin we don't for a second deserve that and yet you freely and willingly gave it. And Jesus, before you gave your life, you sat down with your disciples and you gave them this symbol, a symbol that we carry today. When we eat bread to remember your body and we drink juice to remember your blood, 
And I ask for myself and for every person with us today that today when we take communion, that you would allow it to sink in to a deeper level than it ever has before. A deeper level of awareness and appreciation, of joy, of gratitude, reverence. Give us even a picture. Give us a picture of you on the cross giving your life for us. So that we can see and really know and really value what you've done. But even as we take communion and we remember your death, Jesus, the reason we celebrate is because we know that wasn't the end. And so thank you. Thank you for the power displayed in the resurrection and to know that as you were raised, we too are raised. That you have life and we have life. So thank you for that. And even as we remember your death and what you've done, we will remember your resurrection. Father, I pray for anyone with us today who's never made the decision to accept you as Savior, never believed and trusted in Jesus for salvation, that you would move in their heart right now and that they would do it now. Believe and trust Jesus saves you. God, even as we take communion, transport us back to the moment when we made that decision. When we put our faith in you. When you changed us. You gave us life. We pray right now that in this act, you would be honored above all. You would be glorified above all. Jesus, we thank you for giving this to us to do. And so we will. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to, um, we're going to have the, the band's going to play a song and we're going to, um, during that song, get ready for communion. The way we're going to do that, as soon as we get started, there are going to be ushers that will come to the sides of your robe and will uh, dismiss you down. At the front sides, we have juice and we have bread. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to part the Red Sea right up. We talked about that earlier. We're going to part the Red Sea right up the middle of the room. If you're sitting right in the middle of the room, just pick a side to go to. All right. And you'll go out this way. Walk down the outside by the handrail. Get your communion, uh, what you need for communion. And then you'll return up the inside and back to your row. Don't steal anyone else's seat. Go back to the seat that you started in. Okay. All right. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to play and we're going to sing the song while y'all are doing that. And then we got a spot in the song where we're going to kind of drop things down. And then we'll all take communion at the same time. So I'll let you know when that time comes. So for now, just come down and get what you need and then return to your seat. Um when they grab my guitar and then we'll say a quick word of prayer and then we'll start. All right, let's pray. 
Father, we once again want you to know that we love you. And as everybody prepares to come and pick up their bread and pick up their juice, um, we just ask that right now, in this moment, you would center us, focus us on you, the love that you have for us. Bless the bread as we take it in remembrance of your body, which is given for us. As we drink the cup, we drink the juice, your blood, which was shed for us. I want to appreciate that on a deep level. So, Lord, do that in our hearts and minds. It's in your name we pray. Amen.